everybody. Welcome in to 2016, as well as the I Want to Know podcast. I am your host, Greg Jones. I'm the one leading you on this inquisitive departure into audio wisdom. Happy New Year, everybody. It's been a while since we talked. In fact, it's been since 2015. I hope your New Year's was fantastic. Hopefully, you can remember everything that happened. I want to thank you guys for making 2015 pretty awesome for the I Want to Know podcast. We launched, we got listeners, we got interviews. It's been fantastic. The show's still going strong, still releasing episodes every other week. Thanks to you guys, thanks to the guests. It's really been a blast for me getting to learn all kinds of different things. I hope it's been fun for you guys. Today's guest was at the recommendation of listener Becky. I hope she doesn't mind me giving her a shout out. She told me about the Final Exit Network quite some time ago, and I finally got in contact. And exit guide Fran Schindler was the one to get back to me. If you don't know anything about the Final Exit Network or what exit guides are, don't worry, neither did I. Fran will do a much better job than I explaining what they do. But in short, they act as your friend and make sure that if you need to end your life due to an illness or disease, you don't have to do it alone. One of the best things she says is that you came into this world not alone and you should leave it that way as well. So while the topic of ending your life could come across as a little sad and depressing, this is not what the podcast is meant to be. It's meant to be A, informative about what it is she does and what the network does. It's something I never heard of before. And also it's just to get you thinking about, you know, uh, let's call it an exit strategy for life. What would you do if you had a, a terminal illness or disease and, and you were unable to care for yourself? All things that you should be thinking about, no matter how old you are. In the podcast, she talks about what it is they do and don't do. Specifically, don't do. There's a lot of legal issues. The background process to becoming part of the network. She gives a few examples of cases. Gives her own personal background. Talks about her own uh, exit strategy. Um, how to you know maybe talk to your family, plan your own. We talk about the FBI investigation on the Final Exit Network. And so many other things. So enough from me. Let's get right into it. I'm being joined by Fran Schindler. She is of the Final Exit Network. She's an exit guide. I guess we're really just here to find out what that really is. Fran, how are you doing? I'm well. And you? I'm great. Thank you for uh, so much for hanging out with us today. Well, it's great. It's a lovely day in North Carolina. Nice. It's a it's a nice uh, windy day here in Southern California. Um, I have to admit, I never heard of the Final Exit Network or an exit guide or anything of that at all until one of the listeners um, told me that they had listened to you on a different podcast and that it was one of the most interesting interviews they'd ever heard before, and I had to find out more. So for those of the listeners that are like me, can you tell us what the network is and what an exit guide does? Well, I'll start... Um telling you generally about the network, and then I'll move from there. Sure. Um, we are an all-volunteer organization, a small organization, about 3,000 people, uh, members, and actually we are the only organization uh, of this type that will provide services for members who uh, are mentally competent, um, who meet our medical criteria and are choosing to end their lives because of an ultimately fatal um, illness um, that does not have to be 
terminal within six months, and they have found that the quality of their life has become intolerable. So that is generally um, who we are. Um, I can tell you briefly about um, where we came from, how we evolved. Yeah, please. Um, This organization uh, started out uh, with the founding of the Hemlock Society by Derek Humphrey uh, back in the 80s. Um, And that organization was quite well known at the time and um, had quite a large membership. As that organization evolved and other organizations incorporated into that, um, in about um, 2004, that original Hemlock Society split into two separate organizations. One organization was Compassion and Choices. Mm-hmm. The other organization became Final Exit Network. Now, Compassion and Choices decided that they wanted to lobby to have uh, medical aid in dying. That is the organization that lobbied in your state recently, and your governor, Jerry Brown, recently, in the last several months, passed um, a medical aid in dying law for terminally ill people with six months um, or less to live. Your state has now become the fifth state that has this type of a law. The other organization, Final Exit Network, uh, decided that uh, these laws were going to come too late for many people, and we decided that we would continue to work with individual members um, of our organization. Uh, We do not lobby. Um, The people that seek services for us, as I said, do not need to be terminally ill with six months, but they must meet specific medical criteria uh, that we had. We... um, And let me just split off a little bit here and tell you, uh, before I go into more detail about what we do, everybody needs to understand what we do not do. We do not aid, abet, assist, encourage, or solicit anyone to end their lives ever. Um, So that um, being said... Um, What we do is provide education, information, uh, moral and emotional support, and we will also be a compassionate presence at the bedside for the member who is choosing uh, to end their life using our preferred method. Well, I didn't even let you get a word in edgewise. So um, <laughs> would you like to ask me anything specific about what I've already said? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, but great, great description. Don't worry about me getting any words in. Um, so you talked, one of the things you talked about was splitting off. 
And you guys often get confused with that other entity that split off from you, Compassion and Choices. Uh, what's the real difference between the two entities? Compassion and Choices only lobbies to change the law to get, um, it's either called physician aid in dying um, or medical aid in dying. That means that someone um, now in your state who has a diagnosis of a terminal illness and the physicians have decided they have six months or less to live can apply to that organization and they will um, be able to have uh, medical involvement by a physician um, to work with that person. Now, we're not talking euthanasia here. Okay. Um, euthanasia is what um, Jack Kevorkian did to Thomas Yauch. He put the needle in his arm and pushed in the medication. What we're talking about here is that the people that seek the service under uh, Compassionate Choices Law, medical aid in dying, as well as people who seek our services must be mentally competent. They must remain mentally competent and physically able to carry out uh, the necessary method to end their lives. And that's for both of us. Um, if a person is no longer mentally competent, we most certainly uh, cannot help them and they would not qualify under that recent law. And that's something really important that, in my experience, sometimes people don't understand. They think, whoa, now we have a law and that'll be fine. Everything's taken care of. I don't need to worry about getting dead anymore. Um, I will be um, able to have help from a physician. Well, that's true under uh, medical aid in dying if you are lucky enough to get a terminal illness. However, um, there are many people who will never qualify under that law, uh, particularly people... Uh, in my age group, where as you age, the incidence of dementia increases significantly. And um, they will not qualify under that law because by the time a person with dementia is within six months of death, they will no longer be competent to give informed consent. Oh, okay. So there are other uh, conditions that will meet our medical criteria. Um, Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, MS, uh, uh, oh, Parkinson's, um, those kinds of uh, neurodegenerative diseases, multiple system atrophy, fluid body, dementia, all kinds of illnesses um, that are not terminal, but people are saying, I'm not going to ride this out till the end. And those are the people that we serve. 
So under the new California law and other uh, state laws, would something like ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, not be covered under this? Not unless they were deemed to be terminal within six months. Now, I'll give you an example here. Um, I had a case where a woman uh, did have ALS. Um, she contacted us. By the time they found us and we got to her, she was already um, pretty much paralyzed from the waist down. But she still had full use of her hands and arms, and she was mentally competent. Mm -hmm. But um, So she was able to obtain all the equipment that she needed, follow our instructions, and carry out our preferred method. But she mentioned the fact that um, she was actually, she was also a nurse. Um, she was aware of the laws, and she said by the time, she knew that by the time she would have qualified for that and also for hospice, uh, she was told that um, she would, be able to qualify when she was on a respirator and was having trouble swallowing. And she just decided she was not waiting for that. I, I can understand that, not wanting to wait. I had a grandfather die of ALS. And oh, my goodness. Oh, was, my goodness. I yeah. am so sorry. You know what that's like then. Yeah. And it, it was almost a relief when he finally passed because, you know, yeah. there's so much pain every day. And, you know, towards the end, you can't get out of bed. And it's just, you know, just awful. I understand, and the nightmare of that particular disease is that cognitively, mentally, people are okay, and then they get to the point where if they're intubated or they have a trach, they can no longer speak, but they understand everything. They hear everything. They um, Their cognitive skills are intact, and they know they're trapped. Yeah. Um, oh dear, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, yep, it was it was hard, but um, anyways, moving on. So back back to the California law. One thing they said was the new law requires two doctors to determine that a patient has six months or less to live before the lethal drugs can be prescribed. Uh, pac patients must also be physically able to swallow the medication themselves and must have the mental capacity to make medical decisions. All right, would you say that this is enough? precaution before someone decides to take their life? Uh, by that law, yes. That's fine for the law. Right. For us, for final exit, they do not have to be within six months of death. Now, we have met criteria, um, and in our application process, we, we require that they send us a copy of their medical record that validates their diagnosis. Uh, they must send a letter of intent uh, saying why, given that diagnosis, their life has become intolerable. Mm -hmm. I tell them to write, um, what can you no longer do? What is causing your life to be intolerable? Is it pain? Is it the inability to carry out your activities of daily living? Um, 
we need to know what that is. We also have um, a requirement that they have an interview, a phone interview, where we collect a lot of additional information uh, by one of our volunteers. They call and um, get that information. And once we have all an individual's documents, that goes to our medical evaluation committee. They look at everything, and then they make a decision whether or not the person can be approved for exit services. And I am also, uh, in addition to being an exit I am also a regional coordinator in that I handle these various requests, <laughs> excuse me, that come in for services. Do you have a um, medical background? Actually, uh, I am a psychiatric nurse by background. Oh. But we have coordinators and exit guides um, that do not have medical backgrounds. Our medical evaluation committee consists of um, physicians, uh, one of whom is a psychiatrist. So we look very carefully at all aspects of the person's um, condition. The other aspect that we look at carefully is that there is family involvement because this really is also a family issue. And um, we are very strict about that um, because the only legal actions, really, that have ever been taken against us have been because family was not involved. And so we encourage people strongly. We will work with them. We will speak with them and with their family members so that they can get their family on board. Now, they don't need their family's permission to end their life, sure. but we need to know that the family knows of their intent and that they will not try to stop the individual uh, nor are they likely to take actions against final exits for educating them and sitting with them and the family um, if the family chooses. Some families, and we always encourage families to be there with their loved one when they're ending their life, and um, sometimes Families do not want to be there, and that's fine as long as we know um, that they know what's going on and are fully informed. That kind of brings it around to this latest uh, bit of legal issues the Final Exit Network has had. Recently in Minnesota, the network was fined thirty thousand uh, dollars for essentially, you know, the final the, the uh, exit guide services and. One of the things that I found very interesting about this court case was they claimed that the exit guides helped remove equipment from the scene. Well, that's what they claimed. I do not know every fact of that case or situation. Um, I believe that that 
was correct, that if the person wanted the equipment removed, um, they may have removed it. I don't know all of the information about that. Um, however, that law or that uh, verdict in Minnesota against the network, if you read that carefully, you saw that the judge instructed the jury that they could find the network guilty based on speech alone. Right. And we are appealing that verdict as an absolute violation of our First Amendment right to free and protected speech. Um, they could not prove without any doubt that anyone assisted uh, in the suicide of uh, or the self-deliverance of that woman in Minnesota. Um, and I'm sure if you looked at our website, there was extensive information there uh, about that legal action, and um, there's quite a bit written up in the summer newsletter that we put out also about that legal action. Yeah, and you guys can find out more about that at finalexitnetwork.org uh, is their website. Uh, yeah. What it really sounded like was the husband was mad that he didn't know that the wife had you know, ended her own life. He had assumed, according to him, that she had died of natural causes because she was uh, ill. And and to find out that it wasn't, he, it just sounded like he got mad for not knowing and decided to, to take legal action, really. Well, you know, very often as a guide and as a coordinator, when I speak with people, um, they say, well, I don't want to tell my family because they're going to get upset. And my typical response to that is they're going to get upset either way. Sure. And to end your life uh, without telling your family, uh, leave, I mean, you, okay, you end your life, you're dead, okay? You got your wish and no problem for you. But that is a very cruel thing to leave for your family. It leaves them with guilt, with anger, with recriminations, with saying, if only um, they, they don't understand what that does to the family member. And when they do speak to their family, um, I have seen incredible things happen. I have seen uh, reconciliations when they have notified, um, in the case that comes to my mind, uh, a son that they had not had um, contact with for years. Wow. And um, after I spoke with that son, and actually after I told the woman if she was unwilling to um, to have her son involved, I may have to think twice about my presence there with her because the other part of what we do is we don't go there and sit with people who end their lives and then we just walk away and leave them there. They have to have a good 
solid discovery plan so that they are found. And if they don't have someone involved that can do that um, as a guide, I'm certainly not going to be there. I will never leave someone like that. Um, so after talking to her, she um, said, okay, you can talk to my son. It was amazing. The son came. He was very nervous, very anxious. He was able to settle things with his mother. And he just wasn't sure if he could really be right there that day. But um, that was, we were talking with him during our first visit because we usually make more than one visit to these members that are going to end their life. Um, we always make at least two visits. We don't just come one day, oh, hello, we're here, now you end your life. It doesn't work like that. So sure. we have more than one visit. So at the first visit, he was very, very anxious. Um, he just didn't know if he would be able to be there when we came back several days later. Um, so we said, okay, you know, you'll have to decide if that's something you can do, but he knew the things that he needed to do after his mother died. So the day came, uh, we came to the house, um, the mom wanted to, uh, have a little drink before, so we all had a little glass of wine, <laughs> she prepared herself. I'm here to tell you that son went into the room, knelt down by his mother's bedside, gave her a kiss and held her hand. And to this day, I get goosebumps thinking about that wow. because I never thought from the way he presented himself at the first visit that I did that he would ever have been able to do that. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, you, you mentioned discovery plan. Is yeah. that is that just essentially so the body doesn't sit there and decompose? That's that's right, and um, they have to be found. There has to be um, someone notified. Um, often, you do have to call nine one one emergency services because when a person and this is pretty much in every state, if a person dies outside of a hospice or a hospital. Um, it does become a coroner's case, so someone actually has to call emergency services and have them come out, and um, that's what they do, and, and they um, make their decisions and then ask the family, where would you um, like um, the person's body to be sent? Wow. Um, that they take care of getting a death certificate signed either from the physician um, or the coroner will sign a death certificate. Okay. In a, in a case like this, or I mean any case really, but this one seemed to, you know, it still gives you goose pimples as you talk about it. Um, have you ever gotten kind of emotionally close to someone and, and actually have this hit you hard after they ended their life? Well, you never really want to have to see someone end their life, uh, but in the same vein, you know how much this person wants to end their life. You know how much they are suffering because 
you've had a relationship with them. And actually, they are at peace because they are getting what they want, which allows me to be at peace with their decision. Um, all of the people that I have ever been with uh, have been very special to me. I really consider it a privilege to be able to be there with these people to witness their choice in a non-judgmental way to just show up and be present. Um, and um, I get a lot back from that. These are the probably the most courageous people that I have ever met. And I get back some of that courage that I have seen them display, and that gives me even more courage to carry things out when it turns out to be my turn. Sure. Uh, so you plan on, you know, if the time comes, using an exit guide? I will use an exit guide. Actually, my family knows very well what my uh, end-of-life choice is. Um, if I am diagnosed with dementia, I will absolutely end my life while I am still mentally competent to do so. Um, my daughter has heard... Um, some of my interviews, and she has said, Mom, I will sit with you when you uh, make the choice to end your life. And the first time she said that to me was after an interview I had done with Dick Gordon on the story. And that really, when she said that to me, it brought tears to my eyes. I really did cry because I never thought that she would be able to do that. Um, I have friends uh, who will be with me. There are exit guides that will be with me. Um, you know, we believe strongly in the fact that, number one, nobody comes into the world alone, and nobody should have to die alone sure. unless they choose to do so. So did you ever have a discussion with your daughter about her oh, being Oh, absolutely. More than once. In fact, um, all of my children know of my decision. And um, now just a little aside story. Um, a couple of years ago, my son's father-in-law died suddenly. And um, they had a very traditional funeral. And my son actually sat down and talked to my two granddaughters about death. I don't know everything he said to them, mm -hmm. but he did tell them in some form about the kind of volunteer work that I do. Mm -hmm. uh, number one... I was amazed that he had the courage and the forethought to talk about death with his children because 
most people don't even want to talk about death. Um, it really has become the last taboo, and um, I think people sometimes think if we don't talk about it, then it won't happen to us, but not so. If you are born, you die. That is the nature of things, and it comes down to making a choice if you are able to have one about how, when, where, and with whom you want to die. And a lot of people don't think about it in that way. They, you know, you hope that you'll just go to sleep one night and then you'll be dead. Sure. Uh, and if that happens, you're very fortunate. But that doesn't happen for everybody. Right. Uh, so everybody needs to start the conversation um, with their families so that when something does happen, everybody in the family is on board. Yeah, it sounds like you really don't want to wait to, until it's too late. Um, if someone has progressed past the point of physically being able to carry this out themselves, is there anything that the Final Exit Network can do for them, or are they kind of screwed at that point? Well, we, <laughs> if they cannot physically carry it out, there is nothing that we can do for them. Uh, we will talk to people about um, another means to end their life, which is withholding food and fluid. That is a natural way to die. Um, and um, that can be accomplished through hospice. Many of the people that get to that state can have hospice involved. Hospice is an excellent option. We recommend that to everybody that calls us as an option. Um, and some people call us, they go through our whole application process. Um, in some instances, we never hear from them again because we aren't calling them and soliciting to find out when you're going to end your life. <laughs> sure. So some people, we never find out anything. In uh, some cases, they call us back and say, you know, we've decided to go with hospice, and that's wonderful. Uh, we fully support people doing and making that choice. And will hospice go along with your wish to not be fed or given any liquids? If you um, make that known, uh, individuals have a right to refuse treatment and food and fluid can uh, be considered treatment. They can ask for uh, palliative care, comfort care, and they can ask and hopefully have put it into their advanced directive and have informed their health care proxy who can speak for them if they cannot speak for themselves that they do not want to be fed or to have any kind of artificial hydration. Hmm. Uh, when people call the network, do you guys uh, offer up any sort of suggestions on how to carry out the process? Well, we have a, uh, the network itself has a, prefer a preferred method. Now, are you talking about do we offer suggestions about uh, withholding food and fluid? No, if I'm sorry. 
to go that way? No, a preferred method on how to end your own life. Well, we our preferred method is the use of an inner gas that requires using using a hood. And when I'm in these kinds of uh, interviews, as I mentioned to you, um, that is all that I will say about that. Okay. And um, I guess that wouldn't be seen as illegal, given that information, because technically I could Google how to kill myself and find that. That, That's exactly right. An individual can Google whatever they choose. And something else that people often don't know, that it is not against the law to kill yourself. It's only against the law if you assist or aid someone to kill themselves. Now, go figure. (laughs) You know, uh, you can be found guilty of a felony even if by some way um, you get arrested for being with someone who ended their life themselves by their own choice on their own terms, which is not a crime. Have you ever personally been arrested or investigated or anything? No. And I do not want to be. I am (laughs) very um, careful to make sure that um, I make everything clear to people. We do nothing that is against the law, period. We do not buy anything for anybody. We do not bring them anything. We don't help them in any way. And wasn't the network, I think, investigated by the FBI a couple years back? That, well, that FBI, they, the action that was taken against us uh, was by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. That was the major uh of action that was taken against us, which resulted in a trial um, in Georgia. It spawned another case in uh, Arizona, and actually the uh, episode in Minnesota was related to that initial um Uh, action that was taken against us by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. What happened with that, and this gets really, can be a very long involved story, which you can read much more about on the website. Again, there's information about these legal actions. But when they um, carried out that incident, that uh, action against us, They sent information out to, I'm sure, just about all of the district attorney offices in in all the counties and states in the United States. And um, I know that during the time um, of that um, action, um, there were people involved that um, people were coming to find out whether or not they were suicidal. Okay. So now, 
there were a couple of different cases. There was a case, and you can Google this, uh, where an action was taken against a woman named Charlotte Hydorn. And she was in California. Uh, she made hoods uh, for people all over the world um, that knew about um, self-deliverance. Uh, she was not actually a member. She was not actually associated with us, but people that um, were members knew of her and could order hoods from her. Oh, okay. In an entirely separate action, a young man in, I believe, Utah, he was not a member of our organization. He had nothing to do with our organization. He Googled something, found her website, found her name, ordered a hood from her, and he committed suicide without telling his family he just killed himself. Well, when the family found him and found a box with her information, um, you know, from where he ordered that hood, in their anger and grief, they notified the police, which ended up in a, in a case against her and another FBI investigation related to that. But that was a separate incident from the Georgia incident against the network. That incident was against her. And and so they're, they're basically saying that she assisted even though all he did was buy something from her that could have been used yeah. in that action or not? <laughs> well, quite frankly, um, she they got after her because she made the hood, okay, and people bought them from her. Um, as a result of her being arrested, they got a lot of her records, and they got a lot of the names of people who had bought hoods from her. Okay. Then the FBI, spending the taxpayers' money... Of course went around the United States visiting people whose names they had to see if they had a hood and if they were thinking of killing themselves. Uh, <laughs> That's an interesting investigation to conduct. Well, it was, and actually it was um, evidently seen as a federal investigation. And when there is a federal investigation, you get a letter uh, from the FBI. I can't remember quite where that letter was generated, but it came to people saying that you were being advised that you had been a victim of a federal crime, and we're writing to let you know the status of that case. Now, there were a lot of people in our organization who were visited because they had bought a hood 
some of these people were terminally ill and were very upset about that. Sure. Some of them laughed it off because they saw it for what it was. And I even um, have a letter that was written by a woman uh, who was visited by the FBI because she bought her hood uh, from Charlotte Hydorn. When that woman ended her life, she gave me a copy of the letter that she wrote back to the FBI giving them uh, her two cents, if you will, <laughs> about wasting government money. That's fantastic. Um, tracking down people that owned a hood that they may or may not ever use. That's good. That's a, that's a good last uh, dying wish is the FBI to know your, your, your two cents, if you will. Um, all right. Let me, um, before we get out of here, before we end this interview, let me just ask you if there's anything that you would want to tell people who are potentially thinking about using Final Exit Network? Well, number one, start the conversation with your family. Um, get your advanced directive and your healthcare proxy uh, in order. Um, and if you are um, suffering intolerably from an ultimately fatal physical physical uh, illness, call our toll-free number. Um, we do not offer services for chronic and persistent mental illness. And I will tell you, as a psychiatric nurse, I appreciate how people with mental illness suffer. And the fact that we do not have that service available now is in no way meant to diminish the quality of their suffering. Um, the legal risk to the network is simply too great sure. um, to be able uh, to uh, serve people with that illness. Um, However, if it's a person that has a chronic uh, mental condition, but they also, you know, mentally ill people get physically and terminally and seriously ill, too. And I would not discourage them if that is their situation from calling us and assessing us, allowing us to assess their situation. Okay. Fantastic. And that number... Uh... Um, is one eight six 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 five four nine one five six. And of course, the website finalexitnetwork.org. Uh, yes. Fran, thank you so much for uh, just telling us really what this is about and, and help educate people. And, and hopefully, uh, they know more about it and they know more about uh, the laws and, and can make better decisions for themselves and family members. So, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your interest and I appreciate your willingness um, to get this information out to people. Definitely. Because this is all about choice. Definitely. I think it's very important. Thank you so much again to Fran for spending the time to talk about the Final Exit Network as well as Exit Guides and what she does within the network. 
If you have more questions about the network, you can check them out at finalexitnetwork.org. She gave out their phone number. It's one 654 9156 And she also told me off the air that she is more than willing to answer any more questions we may have for her. So if you have any more questions, get them to me and I will forward them on to her. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Fran is just the nicest lady ever. She wasn't here to plug anything. I contacted her. Her only plug was to to start thinking about what you're going to do in the future. And if you enjoyed it, tell your friends about the show. You can tell them to find us at IWantToKnowShow.com. You can get us on any podcast app. Just search for I Want To Know. We're on Twitter at I Want To Know Show. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash I Want To Know Show. And if you're looking to send an email, please do. I Want To Know Pod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Thanks again to you guys, and thanks again to Fran for spending the time. So on that note, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.